stretching long legs to brace her boots against the bulkhead as the plane heads upward from Toronto into gray mid-October air, Lila Lewison, a very tall, exhausted psychiatrist, a week of meetings has almost done her in, she feels, takes note of the advantages of this seat, enough legroom and somewhat out of the crush. Also, the seat next to hers is vacant. At least, she thinks, the trip will be comfortable. Maybe I can sleep. Lightning recap in Earthquake Damage by Alice Adams. Natural disasters and travel woes plague a middle-aged psychiatrist. It's short story, short podcast. <laughs> yes, it is. And I'm Chris Garcia today here with Christy Baxter. And it has been a bunch of travel, of deity, of foodlings, uh, which are small foods, which are eaten with the hands. It's a sniglet. Uh, but it also had a story. What was that story again? That story was Earthquake Damage by Alice Adams. And I'm going to shock Christy with this. Christy. Yeah. I lived through the events covered obliquely in this story. Oh, shocking. Shocking. Uh, I'm That's right. surprised by that because... In- uh, most people don't know because you keep very, very quiet about it, but you actually live in California. I do. Um, it is a fact that I was, in fact, just getting out of the bathtub. So I was wrapped in a towel waiting to watch the Giants and A's play baseball in the World Series. And I was so excited because it was four days before my birthday. I believe I had microwaved some tater tots uh, and was waiting for those. More than likely, I'd actually forgotten them in the microwave. And uh, it was a time of incredible strangeness. The only thing I can compare it to uh, is probably 9-11, of course, um, because everything can compare to 9-11. Uh, 9-11 was basically the 9-11 of falafel joints as Abed says on Community Um, but one of the things that's incredible is that this is a view of someone who is deeply familiar and connected with a place that is going through a a trial more or less but not being able to actually interact with that trial. Yeah, and, it, she's she's very removed from it. And uh, I just wanted to, to chime in that I was removed from that uh, that particular trial, uh, the, the San Francisco earthquake, in that I was watching that very baseball game. And uh, then I got bored and I turned it off. And then about two minutes later, there was an earthquake. So I didn't even get to see it on TV. Yeah, and it's incredible how many people like have a memory of it and my uncle was at the game um 
I was not. I had to go to school. Uh, I was 14. My mom was at work. And when she got home, she was all blubbery crying because I was so scared that there was going to be an aftershock that was going to kill us all, uh, mm-hmm. which I think she's still scared of. Um, but it's that distance that is really interesting to me. Uh, I've been through a few natural disasters. I was in both the Loma Prieta, uh, nine. Uh, not 1906, <laughs> 1989, <laughs> and the Northridge quake in LA. Uh, I was in LAX actually at that time. Ooh. And when you experience it, there is a certain set of expectations that you have of your reactions. Here, he's not having those reactions but she's still having those feelings that come with them. It was very familiar. Yeah, it seems like she's, the, the, the distance is not just geographical and physical, it's also emotional. Um, and she only really allows herself to close that distance when she tries to get in contact with, with Julie and her lover slash ex-lover. I don't know how we want to characterize that. Um, but it, it doesn't seem like, you know, she, there, there's moments that feel like they should have more emotion than, than she shows like, um, and maybe this is just my, you know, being blind to everything, but my own experience. But if I were in the position that she was in where her flight was diverted and then you get back and there's kind of chaos and then they're like, okay, they're going to take it, you know, shuttle you off to the hotel. And then I stood down there for like 10 minutes and nobody came down. I'd be really anxious. Like I'd already be anxious to begin with. That would only increase my anxiety, but I guess she's a psychiatrist. So she knows how to deal with that. Yeah. And I think that actually plays a role in this because, and I think this is actually a very interesting point is often in the 1980s, the way psychiatrists and psychiatry in general were presented in popular culture was as this sort of detached observer of humanity who doesn't have, you know, their fingers in all the pies that all the rest of us who are obviously messed up in the head do. And it really wasn't until the 90s that you sort of see that. What's the movie? Um, is it Mumford? Where the guy pretended to be the psychiatrist uh, that you sort of started to see how really psychiatrists are just as messed up as the rest of us. I, I blame Fraser actually. Oh, that's a good point. Fraser, uh, the documentary about Brendan Fraser. Yes, definitely true. Uh, <laughs> I think that that, and the relationship between the two of them is Odd. And I think your the whole on again, off again aspect is interesting because I don't just think it's occasionally they're dating and occasionally they're not. I think there are occasionally feelings and occasionally there's not. And yeah, I think and I think go ahead. No. Fine, I'll go. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's almost like it's it's there's a there's a certain kind of irony there because she's a psychiatrist and you would expect a psychiatrist to be maybe like more aware of their feelings, but she just seems to kind of subconsciously shut the feelings off when she feels the need to. And it doesn't seem to take any effort. It just seems to be this like automatic thing that happens when she needs to reprioritize or 
compartmentalize. That's a hard word to say. <laughs> um, so I think compartmentalization is a really big part of uh, the, the character here, uh, Lila, of of who she is. Mm -hmm. I think compartmentalize it. <laughs> See? Uh, compartmentalization is a major thing. And I think distancing is also, and I think that's why this is such an interesting way to play with the idea of the relationship to home, as well as her relationship with Julian going forth, is that she, I don't know if she decides to distance herself. I, I almost want to say she does as on a conscious level, but the unconscious idea actually makes it even more interesting that she is, she's invested in this disaster only in as much as it inconveniences her. I think that's the same of her relationships. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um... It's, it's a matter of, well, I have the time and bandwidth for this right now, but then two minutes later, I don't. So she just automatically, it, it gets shuffled into the background. Mm -hmm. And typically when we see that story told, it is gender reversed. It is usually the dude who plays that role uh, of the one who uh, shunts off for the time they have a moment for it. And the woman is the one who is held at a distance. What we don't get here is any true view of Julian. Yeah, we very much are, I think we're a step further from him or maybe a couple steps further from him than we are from, from Lila as far as how much of the character's interior we're actually getting to see. Um, and he also seems kind of detached. Was this like a theme? of Alice Adams' work, detached characters. Is this like a, a, the well she goes through, went to, I guess? Actually, yes. <laughs> um, I'm not a huge reader of Adams' work, but I have read a couple of uh, her other stories that appeared in New Yorker, uh, because at first I couldn't remember what story we were reading. <laughs> I put but it in the I calendar for a reason. <laughs> I don't always have a computer. Or remember that it's there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I think the, the interesting thing is that as a writer of the 1980s and 90s, what she managed to do was capture her view of Generation X and early boomer or late boomers and take the ennui uh, that... Uh, is often attributed there and it just three slices that she can then tie into the overall aspect of what's going on in the world to show how there is not only detachment, but there is a dampening of emotional connection in particular, but also of historical import that a lot of her work that I've seen, and again, not a huge thing, but like the four or five stories I read, definitely have this idea that, well, history is just a thing that happens. It is not a thing that has continually long lasting effect. And I think that very much speaks to those of us born in the late 60s and early 70s. I mean, and it really, 70s. 
<laughs> and it really does explain that detachment. It, it feels almost like more of an ethos than um, just like a, a writing quirk or, you know, a habit that she goes to. It feels more like this sort of feeling that nothing is really of that much consequence or uh, affects anything else very much, which I can't say I really agree with, but it's uh, it must feel good. <laughs> yes, um, I think I think that it is her writing. This story, I think, aged better than the other ones that I, I got to. Uh, there was one from The New Yorker. I think, I think it was from 96 that was much it felt like a story that was actually trying to be of the moment and yet didn't quite achieve it this one feels both of the moment because it's dealing with something that was very near i think she wrote this in 89 uh in late 89 and published it in 90 or 91 uh but at the same time there is this timelessness largely because of that relationship that makes it feel more generalizable. Plus, I think now we have an added bonus that she couldn't have seen, is that having lived through 9-11 as a society, we now attach things. We now have this sort of what I consider to be like a catastrophe attachment. We have this interaction, we've had this you know, national interaction with this moment that now that the moments that we have been aware of become more important to us. In essence, it's making the exact opposite statement of what she's making in her story. Yeah, it's definitely, um, there's something just about that idea that is both like attractive and repulsive, you know, the idea of kind of like the standalone events and the catastrophe is really just kind of like a thing that happens elsewhere. Um, and yeah, I don't know. Uh, I did find that the, the store very, um, atmospheric in a weird way that I couldn't quite put my finger on. Maybe it was just use of adjectives, like dark adjectives or something like that. But, um, it just felt like it had this, this atmosphere that, uh, sort of managed to punch a hole in the banality of it all. Mm -hmm. And I think that one of the things I think one of the, cause again, this is a paragraph writer. This is not a sentence writer. This is not a chapter writer. This is a solid paragraph writer. Every paragraph moves things forward, but within the individual paragraphs, the individual sentences don't necessarily all contribute as much as they do stand as a portion of. Yeah, it's it sort of uh, relates kind of back to the, the sort of uh, nothing, you know, detached, feeling of the entire narrative. So everything is sort of like wrapped up in that whole idea. Wrapped up, that's the word I was looking for. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, two words, back to back. Um, but this story is interesting. I think it may not be the greatest story we've covered, but I think it does capture an idea that in the eighties and nineties, we were trying maybe unconsciously but potentially consciously because we had seen what our parents had been through uh, actually dealing with the world around them <laughs> to come up with ways to not deal with the world around us as much or at least at our own leisure 
escapism? What? Oh, oh, yeah. I wonder what you would have written about the pandemic. Oh, man, that is an interesting question. And it's one I think about not just with like authors who passed long before that, but just people in general. Like when I see that, like, it, it, it's, the, it's the weirdest thing because I didn't even do this with 9-11, but with the pandemic, it's like, if I see that somebody died before the pandemic, I'm like, oh, they missed it. Like, <laughs> it's just a weird thing that happens in my head every time. The most controversial thing I have said on TikTok is I did a post where I talked about missing the early days of the pandemic. <laughs> people thought I was crazy. I was just thinking that people would uh, people would probably be very angry at that statement. But yeah, I was just thinking like the early days, there was just this uh, like more of a feeling of unity and cross stitching in podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, the... And I think one of the great things about that you can kind of reflect actually in this story is at that point, everyone was just trying to deal with what was going on. And since we couldn't go out, we actually started to connect with each other through the most common of ways and that was sharing our lives, which is something we absolutely don't see here. And I think that is perhaps the takeaway from this, or is it? Um, I could go with that, that it is. Yeah, it's, it's a good takeaway because it's like, that's, that's what we get at the, the very end. We get a, a little taste of that sharing of the lives as, as Lila is telling Julian about the dog on the runway. Um, and that's where we finally get a connection. And it feels like there's a weird sort of reverse parallel there because it seems like she's not able to connect with him fully unless she's with him physically and, and geographically, um, which is kind of the opposite of what we all had to do at the very you know, beginning of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Yes, Zoom made humans of us all. <laughs> yes, humans with the uh, constantly like stuttering voices because of the, the bandwidth that's too low. Not that it says that about yours right now. <laughs> hey uh, <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, Got anything else there, Christy? I really do not. Um, except that it's funny that, did you pick the story? I feel like you picked the story, right? I did by going through a best stories of 1991 book that was at my right left-hand side and uh, pointing to a story on the table of contents. That's right, that's right, okay. So did you know that it was all about travel? No, I did not. That's funny because we both just came back from traveling. Um, and so it's just weird because I, and I'm, I think you're traveling next month and, and as am I. Um, and it's just so funny because I like this, I could relate to this so much. I just, I just paid the rest of the hotel bill for our, our stay just this morning. And then I started reading this and I was like, oh, well, plane ride. Okay. <laughs> And we're both going, we both either went to or are going to someplace sunny, unlike Toronto. Yes, yes. Uh, I have never seen a sunny day in Toronto. I've only been there for like three or four days, but I still have yet to see one. Uh, I was there and it was 85 degrees. And I uh, believe I uh, swept my body weight. Uh, it mm -hmm. was, uh, it, 
muggy. Yes. Oh, when I was there, it was like negative 85 degrees. And uh, yeah. Oh, so it was a, a nice day for them. November, yeah. November in oh, Toronto. Yeah. There's nothing like it. Ah, uh, yes. Hey, hey, Christy. Yes? <laughs> what story are we going to read next? Um, how about we go to some Joyce Carol Oates? Ooh, Oates! Oats, Oats. So how about um, the story, So Help Me God, in the Virginia Quarterly Review? Oh, nice. I might even have that here at Forever Soroyan, hereby making it's, this entire thing a write-off. <laughs> it's the winter 2005 issue, if that helps. Might actually. I'll check. Well, while I check that, let it be known that this has been Short Story. Short Podcast. <laughs>